This call is being recorded. Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. Today, we have a special event concerning our decision to begin the writing and publishing of a series of light embracing books, spinoffs that will augment my published book, Embracing the Abyss. Today is the beginning of our first light embracing book to be read. It is titled Embracing Your Abyss, Get a Grip on Your Life. I am pleased to announce our first co-author, of our initial light embracing book, Mr. Roland Hallmark, also known as Coach, who authored the book, Get a Grip, before his passing. Chapter one, get a grip on why. Question mark. The greatest gift is a portion of thyself. Ralph Waldo Emerson. If you're reading this for the first time, you are at least 12 years old. I know because I wrote it to be a gift on your 12th birthday. I chose this particular year because I consider it to be the year you should start taking full responsibility for the choices you make and to understand that you are accountable for what those choices are. From this point forward, your life will be filled with opportunities to make choices. The right choices will make a huge difference in what you will be able to accomplish with your life. The wrong choices will take away from you what you may have already accomplished. All the choices you make, right or wrong, will then balance out on any given time to let you know just where you stand in developing your life. Since you are accountable for what your choices are, this constant crediting and debiting process is an ongoing education about what you do right and what you do wrong, what works and what doesn't. You must learn how to manage this process and grow mentally and emotionally from it. Get a Grip was chosen as the title because I firmly believe that if you really value something, you must get and keep a strong mental, emotional, and physical grip on it or risk losing it to the many distractions, temptations, and efforts trying to take it from you. By learning from each choice you make and from the crediting and debiting of your accomplishments, you ensure your grip on everything you value. A key thought to remember is that experience from making choices will increase the strength of your grip and that a strong grip will cause you to make better choices, all of which makes you happier and more productive. Don't let this age of responsibility and accountability frighten you. It is all part of the growing of 
process and sets you apart from the child who must rely on parents or others to think and make choices for them. This responsibility thing, while sounding stressful, is actually a lot of fun. It gives you opportunities every day to make choices that will cause you and others to feel really good about you and what you do. When you start seeing more right choices being credited than wrong choices being subtracted, you will recognize the positive effect it has on how you feel about yourself and the world around you. No one could ask more of you than to make a positive contribution to your own self-worth and to the environment in which you exist. Like most grandfathers, I want you to have the very best life possible. I also know I can't guarantee it or nor do it for you. The best I can do is to try to give you some sort of advantage by sharing with you what I learned from the right and wrong choices I made during the time since I was 12 years old. All of those choices over all those years caused me to develop a strong grip on a large number of issues. I wouldn't want to bore you with all the, of them, so what follows are 10 of what I believe to be the most critical. You may agree, disagree, or not care. The choice is yours. Get a grip is a gift of love, not as a do-as-I-say sermon. Hopefully, you will find meaningful help in it, or at least an advantage. If you don't, I'm confident you can find your own way to happy and a productive life. However, it wouldn't hurt to always keep in mind that it is our choices that define us and everything we leave behind. Chapter two, get a grip on self-discipline. If we believe God gave us a free will it follows that we believe our will is made up of two parts, one strong and one weak. The strong part is supported, managed, and maintained by our self-discipline, while the same is done for the weak part by our self-indulgence. A really, a really successful life is tied directly to a strong will. A failed or unsuccessful life can trace its downfall to a weak will. While I believe self-discipline is the single most important ability you can acquire, I do find it hard to explain. Should I fail to sell you on its value, you must promise to search for its meaning and its development through someone else. Without a good grip on self-discipline, and how to use it, the rest of us, what I have to say in this little book, will lose its value and could cause you experience of these difficulties. I wanted to see you avoid. Have you ever done anything that you knew was wrong before you did it? Well, most of us have at one time or another, and we ended up paying a price for making that bad choice. That unhappy price was the result of a lack of self-discipline. Self-discipline is the ability 
to hold yourself, your decisions, and your actions to a higher standard of behavior, a standard that meets the expectations that you, your family, your loved ones, and your God have of you. This standard is the pattern against which all your choices and actions are judged. Your success and happiness will depend upon how well you develop the ability and how well you use it to defeat the challenge of self-indulgence. Just where does the standard of behavior come from? It's established for you through the efforts of many, not the least of which is yourself. The most obvious contributors are family, friends, schools, and churches. Individually, collectively, they instilled in you the difference between right and wrong and the appreciation for doing what was right. Federal, state, local laws also exist to be obeyed as a standard of behavior for the common good. Every day you're exposed to the, list, to the less formal rules that govern everything from games to mathematical formulas. All of this comes together to form a structure we can refer to as our standard of behavior. However, you alone are the most important factor in the creation of your standard. It is only through your ability to recognize the need for and the value of such a standard in your efforts through self-discipline to sustain it that it can exist at all. While developing a strong self-discipline is a must, it can be somewhat risky because all too often the best teacher is actual experience. Learning from the experience of a mistake is both helpful and hurtful. It is the hurtful part that creates the risk. Our parents, teachers, mentors have had the time to experience the results of their choices made from the position of a strong self-discipline and also from having given into self-indulgence a peer pressure. We would be wise to consider that experiences and avoid as much risk as we possibly can. There are two things you should consider in developing your self-discipline. First, I guess I suggest you always focused intently and with purpose on your choices before making a decision and taking any action. Weigh carefully all the pros and cons of the situation that requires the choice and examine any pressures that are being put on you. Make sure this is your choice and that it is based on what you believe is best for you. Second, project, project ahead what you think the results of your decision will be. How will you feel after your choice is made and your action is taken? Will you be proud and happy or disgraced and sad? Please remember that making a choice and acting on it is like pulling the trigger on a gun. The bullet has been fired and you can't bring it back. You will have to live with and manage the results. Another way to help in developing self-discipline is to learn from what has happened to others when their self-discipline was lacking. I'm certain you can find many examples from among your friends or from the news, media, and history books. Study these situations and try to, to determine that bad choices were made and why the results were so hurtful and sometimes devastating. 
I think you will find this exercise interesting and educational. You might start with Adam and Eve. The single most important person in your life is you. How happy and successful you are depends upon your ability to control, direct, manage, and maintain yourself. This starts and ends with self-discipline. If you fail or even stumble in this effort, you seriously damage your chances for the happiness and success that you want and for which I pray. Chapter three, get a grip on the stone chisel. Chiseling is something into stone is a pretty sure way to make it certain it will not be erased. This section is about principles of character, those personal attributes that make you who you are and what you stand for. These principles should be chiseled deeply into the stone representing your life and remain there with no chance for erasure. Declaring and living your principles is not a casual act. It is an act of moral commitment from which there can be no retreat. Such a commitment takes immense moral, mental, emotional, and physical courage. Standing up from your principles almost always takes you beyond your comfort zone and sometimes beyond your physical safety zone. So just what are these principles that must be so rock solid? You will and should develop your own. However, to give you an idea, I'll share those that I worked at chiseling into my stone over the years. Each will be explained in its shortest and simplest form, leaving the development to you should you choose to adapt any of them to your life. Unqualified love, devotion, and support of my family. Compassion and assistance for anyone or anything in need. Never destroy or limit trust by the lack of absolute integrity. There is no excuse for dishonesty. Upon accepting responsibility, be totally accountable for the results. Dependability is your bond, your word and your handshake. You must be able to be counted on regardless of the obstacles. Always support a level playing field in any question of fairness. Respect both friend and foe, the friend for value and the foe for protection. Loyalty is payment for your past, your present, and your future. Once begun, there is no tolerance for quitting. Perseverance buys time to learn from both mistakes and successes. Stay the course. Be thankful and humble for all good fortune. Adjust to any misfortune. Chapter four, get a grip on making a difference. Being capable, capable of making a difference is a unique quality not found in too many people. Since not everyone is a difference maker, 
those few who are make major contributions in the areas of advancement of ideas, solutions to problems, and the overall development of the environment within which they live and operate. Making a difference may be as simple as correcting a misunderstanding or as complicated as landing a man on Mars. Whatever the degree of difficulty, it will be a person with the rare abilities and skills of a, of a difference maker that leads the way. A difference maker is so highly valued and respected that to be one is to feel good about yourself and the contribution you make to your world. Over the years, I've had the good fortune to know and sometimes work with a number of people I considered difference makers. Those associations gave me a chance to see and experience what I believe caused those people to make a difference. I want to share my observations with you in hopes that they might help you to become a difference maker in situations you will face. Making the decision. If a difference is to be made, it won't come from any uh, uniformed or uninformed or casual decision. It will come from a decision based on identifying the need or problem, gathering and analyzing the facts, planning a strategic course of action and acting on that plan. Critical to identifying the need or problem and to the collection of the facts for analysis are the skills of listening and observing. Unfortunately, in today's world, speaking without first listening for purpose and subtle meaning combined with looking at the big picture through a soda straw have most people acting on incomplete, false, and misunderstood information. This lack of skill in such critical areas is why there are so many problems and so few difference makers. Taking the time and making the effort to concentrate on what you're really hearing and seeing is essential to making the right decision. Assembling all the information and judging it for accuracy and value begins the analysis phase. Deciding what can be used and how it can be used generally completes it. All too often when judging for accuracy and value, we missed two very important elements. First is that two sides exist in all conflicting situations. It is extremely important that both sides be studied and understood before committing your decision to either. If both sides have value, a compromise should be considered. The second element is the gray area. It is rare when right or wrong, true or false, and black or white are separated by a definitive line. In reality, what usually separates conflicting situations is a gray area, which is created by circumstances unknown, unseen, or not understood by the person doing the judging. The idea here is to avoid a critical mistake in judgment by always looking for and considering the possibility that a gray area may indeed exist. Planning is the guts of making a difference. Without a workable plan, I can assure you there will be no solution, nor will any need be met. The plan is the what, how, when, 
where, and who that gives direction to the action that will follow. Acting on the plan is where the rubber meets the road. Everything before was in preparation for making the decision to act. Acting on the plan is the difference maker's commitment to the right decision. It takes courage to accept the responsibility and accountability for the results of such a decision. Difference makers don't shy from this. They seek it. Getting out of the box. If you tried to watch television from inside a closed box, you would quickly recognize that it is impossible. Making a difference from inside a box is just as impossible. Lack of vision is the culprit in both examples. Before you say you don't do anything from within a box, I want you to replace the word box with the words comfort zone. By doing that, you will recognize that yes, you do live and operate to some degree in a box called a comfort zone. While in this box, your comfort zone from the absence of responsibility and accountability, and that comes from your lack of vision to the outside where the needs and problems exist. In your comfort zone, you are totally cut off from those who need you. Out of sight, out of mind is an old saying that fits this situation. Having vision is not just being able to see the needs and problems, but also to see the possibilities and solutions as well. Over the years, I learned that having vision is a combination of thinking outside the restraints imposed by the current environmental and not accepting the obvious as the ultimate truth of the matter. Outside your box of comfort, your creative abilities are only limited by your desire to make a difference. A true difference maker may have a comfort zone, which they visit from time to time. But when they realize their vision is gone, they don't stay long. Keep your box. Just don't miss your chance to make a difference by living in it. Having courage. I have never known a difference maker who was not an extremely courageous person. When the game hangs, when the game hangs in the balance and reputations and records are on the line, they want the ball. It's their courage that allows them the opportunity to deliver in a crisis when the lesser person heads for the comfort zone. At one time, I felt that courage was created by an absence of fear. With some maturity and experience, I came to know courage as managed fear. Whenever your courage is put to the test, you will certainly find fear and risk definite components of that situation. Letting fear limit your ability to take a difference is everyone's loss, including the loss of your own self-esteem. Managing fear to the degree that courage can take over is what delivers the difference. So the difference maker apart invalidates self-worth. Managing fear starts with believing in yourself to the point that any defeat or setback is not accepted as permanent. Since we already know we can learn from mistakes and bad experiences, 
we can treat defeat as a learning experience and truly justify its lack of permanency. Learn enough and all the defeats are only temporary. Temporary. With fear being managed by the right person on risk and defeat, you'll find the courage to make the contributions expected of a difference maker. When you feel the intense emotional enthusiasm that will not let you be denied your goal, you're feeling the passion that will take you into any situation and total with unqualified commitment. It is fact that you won't find a difference between being made with the absence of passion. Passion fuels the difference maker just as gasoline fuels the automobile. It drives the ability to act on a plan, to get out of a box and to manage fear. It is definitely one of the essentials in making a difference. Exercising leadership. Leadership is an interesting concept. There is no common definition agreed upon the scholars on the subject. Yet it remains the single most productive element when it comes to moving people and ideas along a productive course. Leadership is difference, making at its highest level. With over 350 recognized definitions for leadership, how are we to arrive at a workable concept for making a difference without or through leadership? My suggestion to you is to study the subject until you personally form a definition and concept that has meaning for you and to which you relate and respond. Since leadership is basically about relationships between people, we should focus on our thoughts and efforts, on the fact that our motivation to follow a leader is not who they are, but how they make us feel. Keep this in mind and you strive will be a leader to truly make a difference. Adjusting to change. The difference between life and death is the ability of our mind and body to adjust to changes occurring inside us and outside in our environment. The same can be said for the difference between success and failure. Change is inevitable and constant inside and outside and must be adjusted to as an opportunity rather than as to a challenge to our well-being. Earlier, I mentioned how your comfort zone or box limited you, your vision, and your ability to make a difference, not just in to change. It's equally as limiting. You must keep in mind that all growth, advancement, innovation, and enlightenment are the result of change. Without change, we would not have a heart transplant, televisions, computers, or cell phones. As a difference maker, you must provide leadership in adjusting to change as a necessary necessity for a better life and world. Well, that's today's reading, Buckaroos. I hope you enjoyed it. There's a lot of wisdom that uh, Coach Hallmark had. And uh, he certainly laid it out in this book. And uh, I want to thank you for tuning in to Searching for Integrity today and every day, if you like. So long and happy trails to all.